Luke chapter 2 from verse 39. Speaking of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And their child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The favour of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went for a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in deep distress. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in favour with God and man. When I was growing up, uh, I grew up in a church which didn't feel that unlike this church. It was uh, met at a school, uh, folk uh, of, of, of um, different ages. And there were folk in my life, kind of growing up, that I've only ever really thought of as old Obviously, when I was a little boy, kind of started coming to church, about the same age as my son Alex over there, about six years old, and I, I kind of knew them. And when you're six, you're six years old, kind of everyone around is old, really. But it's kind of funny now. I, I kind of look back and I realise they must have been my age, if not younger, when I first got to know them. I just, in my head, never really think of them as, as younger. We were in a nursing home uh, near me where... Uh, one of our members uh, of uh, our, our church is, I, I go and visit Marjorie, and they, they do a lovely thing in the nursing home. On, on their door, they've got a picture of the resident, but it's not the picture of them as they are now. It's a picture of them when they are in the prime of life, when they are young, and I think it's just, it's just a really lovely thing. Obviously reminds the staff that, that these folk haven't always been uh, old and struggling with their physical health. Certainly reminds me as a pastor, as I, as I go in, of kind of, kind of the life that, that, that Marjorie has, has lived. It's very moving, it's very, it's very important. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because when, I think of, when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, as he lived on this earth, so often when we think of him, we think of him quite rightly... Uh, particularly in those kind of three or so years in his public ministry. Grown man heading to the cross. Obviously we spend time, don't we, thinking about the nativity scenes on, uh, and him as, a, him as a baby. And yet, 
And yet we know, don't we, because he was a human being, he's a human being like us, he, he lived through childhood, he lived through adolescence, he grew up. Tantalizingly, in God's word, we have only one uh, piece of uh, account from those years recorded. And it is here. It is here in Luke's gospel. I just want to draw attention to it tonight and hear what the Lord is saying to us. We might ask the question, why? Why are we told this? Why, of all the things of those years between when Jesus was, say, one or two, whenever the, the wise men came and, and the beginning of his public ministry. What, why is this focused on? Well, well, I think we have the answer. If we listen to Luke uh, closely, if we listen to what the Lord is saying uh, through Luke uh, closely, because you'll notice there is, uh, the, the way this is structured is it, a bit like a sandwich. There are two pieces of bread and there's a filling in the middle. So if you compare verse 40 to verse 52, they are saying things, they're saying something very similar, which, which I think makes the point that, that what is there in between is perhaps there as, a, as an illustration of that basic point. Verse 40, the child grew, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favour with God and man. That's really what we need to know about those years. We may want to be out of our curiosity to know more, but we have all that we need to know, and it, it is that basic point. And as you read through Luke's Gospel, I first preached this uh, a couple of months ago when I did a, a series kind of beginning in Luke's Gospel. I, I preached through chapters 1 uh, and, and 2 and kind of deliberately kind of paused in Luke's Gospel. We will come back to it very soon in our, our church. But there is a kind of pause at the end of chapter 2, if, it was, if this was a film or TV series, there would be a kind of bit of a fade to black after this point. And then you get, well, John the Baptist and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry some years later. This is, in a sense, summing up really all that we've seen. If we'd have read Luke chapter 1 and 2, those great, uh, those great accounts of the nativity make two kind of big points uh, tonight. Firstly, I'm going to speak about Jesus and his humanity. Secondly, Jesus and his relationships. What does this say, say about Jesus and his humanity? I think as we come to this account, it's very easy to perhaps to, to, to kind of miss the point. I, I hadn't really studied this passage particularly until I, I came to it, because we were preaching through Luke's Gospel, and I, I, I kind of imagined as I came to it, my focus would be something really in, in verse 49, to, to focus about Jesus being in his father's house, and that's obviously important, but that's not actually the main point. When, when you see those two bits of bread of the sandwich in verse 40 and verse 52, I think the, the, the point, the point that's being made is, is that, in a sense, Jesus grew. Which is to say that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, as one who was fully human in every way, as we are, except obviously without sin, Luke is making the point that he develops in a fully human way. We mustn't think of the Lord Jesus Christ as some kind of superhero in the wrong, in the wrong kind of sense. 
Sometimes there are TV series, aren't they? There are cartoons, if you're kind of into watching kind of children's cartoons, as I am uh, back now, not out of personal interest, but because I've got little children in my house who enjoy watching those kind of cartoons. Sometimes they, they imagine kind of what those superheroes would be like when they were little. So there's, there's, something, there's one on right now, if you're into kind of CBB, Spidey uh, and, his, and, his, and his friends, which pictures Spider-Man and some of the other uh, kind of Marvel superheroes as, as little kids growing up. But, that, but we shouldn't have that kind of picture of, in a sense, the Lord Jesus. Jesus grows as a fully human being. Yes, fully God at, at all points, but also fully human. We actually accept that's true of Luke's first emphasis in verse 40 and verse uh, kind of 52. Uh, we accept, don't we? I think all of us would recognise that, that Lord Jesus Christ, as a, as a fully human being, grew and became strong. Or, or it's there in verse 52, he increased in stature. We know the Lord Jesus Christ was a baby what, uh, in Bethlehem, don't we? And, and that's what the, the shepherds and the angels, uh, uh, the shepherds saw, and then the, the wise men, well, however old Jesus was when the wise men uh, came. As he grew, his body, his physical body was the body of a typical child and went through the usual regular kind of changes of a, of a young man in, in height and weight and strength. And that's the point that Luke is driving home to us. As a child, he becomes a young man. As a young man, he becomes an adult. There's nothing, there would be nothing unusual if you were to bump into the, the Lord Jesus at whatever different age he was. There was no kind of ready breath glow that would come from him to kind of point him out as, in a sense, different. But we need to recognize that if we all accept that that is true of that first point, it's true of the second. He, he's filled with wisdom. Luke repeats it in verse 52. He increased in wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, he, he, he learnt stuff. In the same way that, in a sense, we learn stuff. That there's no indication that perhaps the Lord Jesus was, in a sense, born with, with Scripture kind of downloaded into his head in a kind of unusual way compared to any other two-year-old, he, he learnt to read. He would have been taught the scriptures. He would have been taught the scriptures by his parents. One of the things that kind of leaps off the page of the first couple of chapters of Luke's Gospel is, is just the, uh, the wonderful piety of Mary and Joseph. Now, he was sinless. He would have had a far deeper hunger for it than any other human being. He would have been able to piece together things. And yet that, I would suggest, is how he came to this understanding of his role. God taught him through the Spirit by his word. And we see that, I think, by what happens in Jerusalem. Look at verse 46. I think sometimes, again, we can misunderstand what is going on here in the temple because, well, perhaps sometimes... uh, Perhaps popular images of this get, get it wrong. If we, if we look here, this is not Jesus as a, as a 12-year-old boy sat in the temple teaching. It's not a kind of obnoxious scene like that. No. What is Jesus doing? He is sat at the feet of the scribes, listening to them and asking them questions. He is, he is learning. Now, 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 his very questions are showing a, a kind of depth of understanding and a hunger far, far greater than any normal human being. 
The question surprised them. You see that in verse 47. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding as his answers, as the scribes taught in that question-answer kind of way. If you've ever taught anything, if you've ever taught anyone, you'll, you'll know that's how, how someone's really got it, isn't it? it, it it's not the answers necessarily. Uh, it, it, you know, it's not, not simply the answers, but it's also the questions. Jesus asks them questions. If people ask you the difficult questions, you know, you know actually they are really getting it. And all of these things lead to this deep sense of, of, of who he is and what he's here to do. I, th- I think we can't, we've got to see this as Jesus as a fully human being, not in any way downplaying the fact he is fully divine at all points. We need to recognize that Jesus is teaching us what humanity should look like. What as human beings we are meant to be. And I think there's a vital application to us here tonight if we are parents or grandparents, if we are children, if we are young people. Let the Lord Jesus Christ here show us what piety and devotion of a young person looks like. I get quite upset, get quite worked up by, and even Christians and even churches do it, that that patronizes children, patronizes young people. Say that, say that actually there are certain things that children, young people can't cope with or we shouldn't necessarily expect. Now obviously kind of love means that, that we have an understanding of uh, a little bit of, of, of the way kind of physically children are, are developing. But, but, but look at this. Jesus is a, is a true human being. At 12 he, he sits and he learns. He has a hunger for God's word. And presumably he, he's got this because he has been doing it earlier. Mary and Joseph have seen it and modelled it and taught it. How, how dare we suggest that we, that kids, in a sense, children should be held back, thinking that in a sense we should bow to what the world thinks about education theory rather than what the Lord speaks of how we are to nurture our children in the faith and in the covenant of God. There's a third aspect, isn't there? Uh, at the end of verse 14 and the end of verse 52, as we think of Jesus and, uh, and his humanity, he, he grows. He grows in favour. He grows. The favour of God was upon him. In fact, it increases. It increases in wisdom, stature, verse 52, and in favour with God and man. Now, that's one of those statements that actually, when you stop and think about it, we think, well, how can that possibly be true, given who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Given that he is fully God, as well as fully man. Given that he is the third person, uh, the second person of of the the Trinity. How how can he grow in in favour? Well, surely we've got to connect that to other verses in in Scripture, where where we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense grew and learnt obedience. He grew as he obeyed his father more. Not that there was ever a situation in which he did not obey his heavenly father. But as he learnt more, he obeyed more. As he grew more, he had more opportunities in different situations to obey his heavenly father. And we've got to say that there is that sense of growth, isn't there? 
there's that sense, sense of growth for us in just normal life as we do things, as we experience more things in life, just generally, kind of even uh, not necessarily thinking in terms of our uh, walk, walk with the Lord, but, but just, just generally, I'm sure there have all been situations in our lives, perhaps in our, in our work or uh, perhaps in our, our family lives, where we're just kind of thrown into situations we, we've, we've never possibly imagined, and then we, we achieve something, we do it, and we, we take a step back and think, well, I, I didn't know I was able to do it. And yet, because you, you've done it, there is that kind of sense of growth. Not that you've ever tried and failed before, but there is that sense of, there's that sense of growth. And as Jesus obeys, and particularly as he grows up and obeys through suffering, there's, there's a cost to the walk, in the walk of the Lord with his heavenly Father. Then, just makes sense that he, he grows in in the favour, in the love of his father towards him. Not, not that it, that was ever denied, not that that was ever in question. But as he grows, there is that growth there. And again, if, if you're a parent, you get this. I think you instinctively understand this. There's never a time, is there, hopefully, that, that we don't ever love our children. But as our, as our children grow and as they develop, every new step makes us, in a sense, prouder. Every new step makes us grow in our love for them. They learn to walk. They learn to talk as they learn to read. And you're no longer just reading to them. They are reading to you. As they leave home, as they go to work, or go to university, as they take on responsibilities in their life, I remember hearing someone uh, uh, retired, uh, well, someone older, uh, speaking about the kind of whole COVID situation, and they still had grown grown children in the house. And they said it was a, it was a kind of quite a surprising experience to be during that COVID time, and everyone had to work from home to, to kind of overhear their son on a Zoom call, clearly at work. It's not an experience they'd had before, and it was like, wow, it's almost like a completely different person. The kind of responsibility and, and just the surge of pride they had and hearing their child kind of working out in the, the wider world. doesn't mean to say there's no lack of pride. doesn't mean before that there's no lack of favour or love. But, but the growth leads to that growth in favour, that growth in love. And, and that's, I, I want to suggest, come back at me if you, if you think it's heresy. I don't think it is. That's kind of what's being talked about here. As Jesus grows, as fully God and fully man. The favour of God is upon him continually and he increases. Jesus and his humanity. But secondly, second point uh, which is being made here is to talk about Jesus and his relationships. Jesus and his relationships. And that's really the the kind of the, the meat of this sandwich, if you like, that the illustration which is brought to us with this incident in the temple. Now this, as I said, it kind of closes off chapters one and two, the focus on Jesus' birth and his childhood, his relationship with his human parents, Mary and Joseph. And as I read through the, the opening chapters in, in Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel, I, I, I am just constantly struck with, with just admiration for Mary and Joseph. I think the more you read and the more you think about them, the more, in a sense, respect I have for them, that their godliness, their humility, 
they're just absolute concern to do the right thing shines through. And, and, and once you start to stop and think about things, there, there is so much at stake in their actions, every step on the way. There is so much at stake in their responses. Now, obviously, the Lord is sovereign. He's completely sovereign. He, in a sense, as we know, as he does for every uh, believer, kind of gives what he also commands. He, he changes their, their heart. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that, that if you stop and think, you know, what, what, what Mary and Joseph do and the way they respond is just a model of godliness and obedience. And we do see this here. So, so the reason for this journey back into Jerusalem is, is his human parents' piety. So verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. In a way, that's a trip that's not surprising, but actually it's not necessary for them to go every year. It was a dangerous 80-mile trip. Men were required to go, but not the whole family, but... His parents went, both parents went every year. This, was not a, this is not a family going through the motions, going through the minimum that's required to satisfy God's law. But then you get to the precise issue. Every parent's worst nightmare. Looking around and suddenly thinking, oh, where is our son? It's a passage that I'm sure that if you're a parent, you've got huge sympathy for. It's a situation that, that I'm sure I guess more parents than you can care to imagine have, have been through. I remember a few years ago when David Cameron was Prime Minister, he, he left his child in here in a pub garden. You can imagine the thoughts that went through his mind, both personal, but then as, as, it, as, as you had the joyful re- reconciliation, the realisation that it was going to hit the press the next day. What have you got? It's understandable, I think. I don't think we can really point fingers too much at, at Mary and Joseph. It was a heaving city. There would have been thousands there at Passover time. There's been different commentaries, all, all sorts of disagreements about what the travelling arrangements would have been. It may have been uh, that the men travelled together and the women travelled together and with Jesus at kind of 12, so not quite, uh, not quite uh, uh, you know, he's in that kind of a sense, in between age, he could have been part of the male or could have been part of the female group. So perhaps that might have uh, uh, explained the mix-up, or there might simply be lots of extended family around. And you, you know, kind of what what it's like when there are lots of people who you, you perhaps you can assume is looking out for the children. But then we come into kind of what exactly happens when 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 they do find the Lord Jesus Christ, and the question and what Jesus says. And what we kind of ask the question is, is kind of what, is, what is going on in this discussion? It kind of raises questions, doesn't it? So they find Jesus, they return, they search high and low, they find him in the temple. He's there, as I've said, listening, asking questions with scribes around him uh, who are uh, astonished. His mum, uh, a bit like, I guess, Martha, this morning, we have every sympathy with Mary, don't we? When she says, son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And it, and it seems like, when you kind of first read it, and particularly when you read it as a parent, with all the emotion of Mary going through your, your mind, that, that Jesus is almost is speaking like a, like a kind of almost a... It's blasphemous to say it, but it feels like an almost a typically obnoxious 12-year-old. Why were you looking for me? Then you know I must be in my father's house. 
And so we ask the question, is that, is that wrong? This is Jesus showing his lack of care, his lack of love, his lack of obedience, his lack of submission. Well, the answer to those questions is got to be no, hasn't it? Given all that we know about the Lord Jesus. Fully man and fully God. Fully man, but without sin. The answer here in verse 49, and you know, we're not, we're not told the tone of voice, but we can only imagine it must be the same kind of compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke, speaks to Martha, that we were hearing this morning, is that they should have known. They should have known Jesus was in his father's house. Now, now why? Why should they have known? That's the question. Is it simply the fact that, oh, they, they should have just remembered that Jesus, actually, he's not kind of ordinary child. He's God. They are just simply looking after God for a few years before he becomes an adult. Well, I think there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that, especially given that Luke is almost emphasizing the humanity of Jesus at this point, rather than simply his divinity. And I, th- I think the answer is perhaps uh, in Luke chapter 2 itself. So the passage immediately before this, uh, we jump back a number of years. There's a, there's a kind of gap of, of years uh, uh, between these two passages. Uh, we're t- the last thing that, that Mary and Joseph do is that they, pres- when Jesus is a baby that's recorded for us, is that he is presented at the temple. So uh, verse 22 and verse 23, they bring him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And when you go back into the New Testament, back into the Old Testament, we kind of reminded that the firstborn of Israel are presented to the Lord like that, and they are redeemed. They are, in a sense, bought back from the Lord and the uh, the, the priestly uh, class uh, in a sense there in, there in uh, to serve the Lord in, uh, in his place but actually when you, when you look at what Luke says there is no mention that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact redeemed there is no we, we're just simply reminded that every male who first opens the womb should be called holy to the Lord every firstborn child in Israel is holy and separated for the Lord, belonging to the Lord in a special way, normally would serve the Lord in the temple. And again, as you read through Luke chapters 1 and 2, there are, there are hints that, that perhaps draw our attention back to another passage in the Old Testament. When you read through Luke chapter to one and two, it, it is shot through, I think, with references to the opening chapters of 1 Samuel, and particularly references to the birth of Samuel to Hannah. You remember Hannah absolutely desperate, crying out to the Lord for a child, and the Lord gives Hannah finally a child whom the Lord, who Hannah devotes to the Lord, and Samuel is brought up, isn't he, in the temple of the Lord uh, under Eli, that the high priest. Mary's song, that perhaps so often we sing or preach over at Christmas time, the Magnificat, doesn't come out of nowhere. It's if Mary is doing her own cover version 
of Hannah's song from the, from the Old Testament. And so the, there's a sense in which Jesus, well, when, when you kind of look at Jesus being presented in the temple, and now Jesus here, and when they go back to Jerusalem, he's back in the temple, that, that shouldn't be a surprise. That, that's where he belongs. He's been holy, he's holy, he's set apart for the Lord to serve him in his house. Mary actually knew that. Mary's song picks up, as I, as I said, on the kind of thing that Hannah was praying. They've, they've presented Jesus, they haven't redeemed him at the temple when he was first born. Mary and Joseph should have known really by what they have said and by what they have done in their life so far with Jesus, to realise that just a kind of brief in-and-out visit to the Lord's house was never going to be enough for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Luke, or the Lord speaking to us through Luke, actually knows the questions that are in our hearts as we read through this passage. That is why he emphasises what he does in verse 50 and verse 51. Now, Mary and Joseph, at this point, they don't understand the saying that he spoke to them, even though they should have done. But then what are we told about the Lord Jesus Christ? He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, that verse, it kind of underlines the fact that Jesus, he, he's not, he's not, it doesn't have a kind, of, a, a kind of insubordinate spirit to his human parents. How could he be? The Lord Jesus, the Lord has, has written that into his law, into the Ten Commandments. Jesus takes uh, obedience to parents so seriously. We see that throughout, uh, I mean, even through his, his adult life, the kind of love and concern that the Lord Jesus has for his mother, even when he is on, his, on the cross. And yet, so what Jesus is doing in the temple cannot be a kind of lack of submission to his parents, but equally it's pointing to the fact that this submission is always under the submission to the Lord. And what does that say to us as we, we are learning from and about the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and particularly learning what it means to be a true human being. Well, I think that, that says something particularly to the children, young people who are here tonight. It says something that I think I kind of wish had been preached to me when I was at that age. And that is, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows. He knows what it's like to be a young person. He shows us in this passage what it means, how to be. A young person, trusting and loving, following the Lord, but also placed within families. The Lord Jesus Christ understands perfectly what it means not to be understood perfectly. I remember what it was like being a teenager, feeling like, well, you know, my parents didn't fully understand me. Well, Jesus was in that situation. And yet Jesus also shows, doesn't he, the importance of godliness, the importance of taking really seriously the word of God, even though perhaps those around us are questioning it. How important it is to kind of swim against the tide. But yet how also how important it is to, to, to love and to submit and to obey those that the Lord has put over us. 
what does this 12-year-old Jesus do? He goes down with his parents, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. So as a young person, listening to your parents, obeying them, doing what they say, even at times when perhaps you don't understand it, that is a good thing. And the Lord Jesus smiles on you. And it's part of your walk with the Lord. Well, that never should lead to, to sin, as we, we see in this passage, but generally, in principle, that is a really, really important thing. It's a really, really important thing that perhaps our culture will say, that's, oh, it's not important at all. But God says, God says it is. But notice this as we close. This, all this, this godliness, this growth, shouldn't ever make us unpleasant as human beings. What's the last word of Jesus, on Jesus' life as he grows up? He increased in wisdom and, for, and stature in favour with God and man. And man. Now there are times when being godly, there are times when we're thinking stand on God's word is going to make us unpopular. And that's going to be true particularly in our society today. But it also should, at the same time, make us more loving, more able to relate, more understanding of people. People, it's so striking in the Gospels as we read of the of the Lord Jesus Christ, how all kinds of people, you can almost say every kind of people, seem to be able to relax in Jesus' presence. Not that everyone liked him. Not that obviously people turned on him because he did not compromise. And yet we find Jesus, don't we, at the dinner parties of the rich and the poor. Men and women. And again, that's, that's the experience of people uh, kind of across the centuries as they read the, the gospel accounts. All kinds of people read the gospel accounts and, and, and kind of come to the end and think, well, I, I, you know, I don't like Christians, I don't like Christianity, but, but I, can't, I can't find something to say against the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember reading in Michael Palin's published diaries, he, he speaks of when he was with Monty Python and they, they had this idea of making a film mocking Jesus Christ. And so the first thing they did is that they all sat down and they read through the Gospels. And they realised that actually they all came, came, around, came back after reading the Gospels. that They couldn't quite do it in the way that they'd set out to do it. They couldn't directly attack Jesus Christ. Well, they went out and did it in a kind of different way. And I'm not in any way recommending that the film that they did make, that the life of Brian. But, but, but Michael Payne is really clear to, to say that they were quite quite careful to try not to kind of directly attack Jesus because they just couldn't. They recognize that none of them are Christians as far as I'm aware. As we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ more, as we obey him, as we trust him, as, we show, as he teaches us, yes, how to come to God, but also how to be a human being, which is ultimately what sanctification is. It is a kind of renewing in a sense of, of us as human beings, perfectly created to live with the Lord in this world and in the next, we will become, or we'll be taught to be the human beings we are meant to be. Rather than necessarily kind of total oddballs and weirdos. 
And I think perhaps that's an assuring word for you if you're, you're a young person. Is that perhaps something's holding you back from really pressing on with, with Jesus because you've got to think, it's just going to make me odd. It's just going to make me weird. Well, yes, there are going to be things that are going to be completely out of step with our world. But you're going to be the human being that you've been created to be. So don't, don't hold back from that. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect human being. Perfect without sin. And he shows us what that is like. So as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, let's worship him, him or as, as the one he is, perfectly God, perfectly human. Let that turn us, let that, let us respond to that in love and praise and worship. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that uh, he came into our world to live the life that we should have lived, to die, taking the punishment that we deserve, to be be raised to, to new life. We pray that we may trust in him. We pray that we may follow him, that we may grow like him in obedience that in him in union with him we may be the human beings that you've created us to be walking with you trusting you obeying you in jesus name amen